0: Hi and welcome back. Um, In today's episode, we're lucky that we've got an opportunity to talk to Richard Gordon. For those of you that don't know him, Richard is the head of uh, High Performance and Athlete Life, HIPAL as it's affectionately referred to, within Singapore Sports Institute. And Richard brings a unique perspective to talk about the current state of sport coaching. I think both from his daily encounters with the products of the daily training environment, that is influenced by the coach, the athletes in terms of performance, but also because of the athlete life component of his job. Um, He he has a unique perspective on the impact that coaches have not only on the training environment, but the living environment of of their athletes as well. I should add um, that Richard's background is in sport coaching. Prior to coming to Singapore, amongst his myriad of professional experiences, he was the head of coaching development for Scottish swimming if I'm not mistaken. So he comes from a coaching background, from a coaching development background and coaching administration background. So he really is in a great position to answer the three questions that we've asked our our other guests as well. And I'll start out if it's okay, Richard. Well, First off, I guess I should say welcome. Thank you. Um, I'll start off with the first question then hand it over to you. From your perspective, what are the current strengths of the coaching ecosystem in Singapore? Uh, th- thanks,
1: Troy. Um, I-, I should explain um, my background um, as well as involving you know, professionally uh, coaching. Um, my first ever job was, a co- was as a coach. I was a swim coach and I graduated from university with a sports science degree. Um, I will say this information in order to provide some context. My first job was as a professional swim coach. It had no job description. I was engaged on a freelance basis with a swimming club in England. Uh, I just left university. I just stopped swimming. And uh, so the expectations were really low, and the boundaries that I had were almost non existent. But equally, the pay was ridiculously low. Almost right. non-existent. <laughs> Almost non-existent. So, uh, and, I'll, and I'll reveal here, so we're going back to, uh, we're going back over 30 years. Stone age. Yeah, yeah. And so the pay, I was paid 6,000 pounds a year, right? So let's put it in current parlance. If we say uh, two Singapore dollars to the pound, uh, there's not quite, but uh, that's $12,000 per year. And I did everything, absolutely everything trained the athletes, found the water time, uh, liaised with parents, which was one of the most challenging things I did. Um, I, I uh, sorted out the competition, decided which competitions, made selections, did everything. And the, uh, I was a member of a, uh, a coaching organisation called the British Swim Coaches Association. And they had this picture that they sent to all their coaches. Um, and they, uh, it, basically it was a jack of all trades and it had this mock-up of a coach who had a hat on, with a whistle, with a stopwatch, with everything. And they did everything at those days. But I tell you what, it was a tremendous learning ground. And I look back on that as such a wonderful opportunity to learn and to understand what what coaching is, what the coaching process is, and what coaching development is. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Not that particular experience, but in terms of the responses. So here in Singapore, I've seen, certainly over the last 10 years, some huge changes that have been taking place. Number one, investment in coaching. That's not to say that there wasn't investment in the past, but I think investment in the past had been um, 30 years prior. And we were still working off, I think, the old NCAP system, and that was around, and they were still trying to muddle away way through that, which was something that was being imported from Canada. So I think in terms of strengths, I would say the structure that we have now is way more robust and more attuned to the Singapore context, and I think that's hugely important. It, what, it's not now um, recognised as something that's been imported from another country, to try and fit within, you know, fit a square peg into a round hole. So I think the uh, the coach education programme process is more structured and more linked to uh, the Singapore context, which I think is a good thing. And I think it's a, st- a strength upon which we can build as we go on. And we've got to recognise that this will take generational change. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. You can't just flick a switch and boom, you've got a perfect coaching system. It's got something, it's got to develop and it's got to evolve, and that takes time. More importantly, you've got to educate people and you've got to get develop people within that system and through that system. So I think that professionalising coaching and is whilst I think the desire to professionalise coaching and we may be some way off what the ideal profession is within Singapore is going to be huge. And I I see that as an opportunity, but we've made a good start. So I think that's a strength. Mechanistically and system-wise, it's developing. So I think foundations have been laid. I think they're broadly the right foundations if you compare and contrast with other systems around the world, other coaching systems around the world, and more importantly, other sports systems around the world but I think it's still a work in progress. But I think the foundations potentially are very, very strong in relation to that. And I think the science of coaching is well taken care of. Uh, Some might argue too well taken care of in that we almost want to uh, develop a knowledge base within our coaches that is way more sophisticated than many other systems around the world. So if you look at coaching as the art and science of making a difference, I think on the science side, we're very well catered for. I think we're less well catered for in terms of the art. And I think there's more to be said with that as we move on. So I think strong foundations have been laid. I think um, mechanistically and system wise, we're in a good place. And the science of coaching is
0: better understood now than it ever has been. Good. you open the door for the second question you left it slightly ajar at the end there which is what, do you, what have you identified or would you identify as the greatest potential growth areas for sport coaching in Singapore okay and, and I look at I mean I, I would go
1: back to my response some of my responses in terms of the strengths uh, you're right I left the door open <laughs> as, as is my uh, uh, desire um, I think the art of coaching is, an, is a huge opportunity, how to develop that. And so what we're talking about is coach development, rather than coach education. It's all part of coach education, but rather than coach certification. So if I, if I define coach education as certification and the systems around that, licensing and the systems around that, and development of coaches, I, let me explain a little bit further. So I think the education and licensing, they tend to go together. The danger is, is that you do both concurrently. I think they are separate, because I think coach education is about saying, from a systems perspective, let's establish some minimum standards that we want coaches to be. Minimum levels of competence at level one, level two, and level three. And by the way, what is level one about? What is level two about? And what is level three about? Okay, so I think education and licensing is really about establishing minimum minimum acceptable standards. I think coach development is about taking those that have met the minimum standards above the minimum standards, and how do we make them better coaches? How do we make them more functional to what we want to be? Ie, how do we can we then make them the best that they can be?
0: Right?
1: Not necessarily world-class, because I think you've got different contexts and different environments. I, how can we make the, uh, the My First Coach a brilliant My First Coach? So that they understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and more importantly, they they're engaging and fun. So that the kids come back and they want to come back. One of the big, big challenges that we face in Singapore is there's many, many different distractions for kids in society now. Probably way more than certainly when you and I were kids, Okay, when life was a lot more simple. You know, when we
0: lived in a cave, all we had was rocks and fire, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so um, we've got to make it fun and we've got to make it engaging. And our biggest challenge in high-performance sport is how do we keep more young people in sport long enough to achieve their physical and psychological potential because we lose way 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 too many and the transition from youth into senior is horrendous in terms of uh, numbers that get lost from sport and actually we want more young people to take part in sport because it's fun and it's engaging and they feel they're learning something and they feel that they're being led in the right way. And these are all reasons why kids drop out sport. The, the opposite of that. They're all reasons why kids drop out of sport. So we've got to pay attention to that. So the first coaches have a huge responsibility. And I, I would say in terms of um, anecdotally, in the former Soviet Union, they paid their first coaches more than they paid their high-performance coaches because they recognised the absolute importance of those coaches. Now, of course, that assumes that there's some sort of profession and some sort of professional development. And that then goes back to the art of coaching. And I I say this coach development bit, which is about how do we make our coaches better, more engaged? How do we make our coaches, according to the context that they want to coach in, expert coaches? so it 's not about how do we make all coaches high performance coaches because not everybody can be a real quality high performance coach so i 'm reminded of uh, a coach that I was aware of in uh, Great Britain um, who came into the um, came into high performance who had no learn to experience had no developmental experience he just came in and said look i've graduated with a master's degree in sports science and i want to be an excellent high performance coach i'm not interested in going through the various levels i'm not interested in going through um, whether i'm good at level three four or five i want to come straight in and be a real quality high performance coach that's fine but do you meet minimum standards so there is a threshold above which they've got to go. So we've got to persuade some of these people that, yes, there are minimum operating standards. Safe sport is a big issue, right? Safe delivery of what you're doing, okay? Understanding the constituent group that you're coaching and that your job is to try and make them better, but not at any cost. So it's having a context or a, uh, developing a culture where people can thrive and they're not just trying to constantly survive, okay? And I think that was a very good illustration to me about the different constituent groups of coaching and that you can be an expert coach with the constituent group that you're trying to coach. But equally, there is a need to ensure that uh, the right context is set that the right environment is set. You're just dealing with a different constituency. So that goes back to the minimum standards and then making people better as part of that. So other opportunities, I think very, very simply, we need more coaches and we need better quality coaches. And does one come before the other? Probably yes. So we need to develop more coaches, but more people need to be convinced that coaching can be a profession and that it's, but I think there, it can also be a a, a vocation. And by that, I mean that you can can be a voluntary coach. So I'm aware of a club in Singapore, rugby club in Singapore, that has about 500 members, uh, very, very vibrant, and they've got 50 coaches. And every one of those coaches is a volunteer and they give their time primarily around Saturday and Sunday to coach, to coach the kids. And it's a mixture of uh, local kids and expat kids. And uh, they make the club make a commitment for those coaches to get them through their level one. That's about the minimum standards. And for those that want to progress and do level two, they will allow that to happen and they pay for it. So when, the the, uh, participants, largely the parents of the participants, pay their annual membership fee and their monthly training fees. Some of that money is used to reinvest back into coaches and coaching, and I think that's a fantastic model. It's the model that works throughout Britain. It's the model that works in the majority of uh, Western Europe, Uh, but then you have You can have volunteers, you can have part paid, you can have uh, full paid. And it's about trying to develop that mixed economy because there isn't enough money to pay everybody uh, a living wage to coach. It's also about using coaching because there are many values within coaching that can apply in working life. I've seen a model um, in, in Scotland, whereby by uh, Sports Scotland, they uh, encourage, no, they make uh, it, it standard that everybody that works for Sports Scotland have to coach in a club one day a month, because they recognise that the skills that they develop, the experience that they develop, can apply very well into the work environment. You know, it's about setting goals, it's about treating people fairly, it's about managing uh, the, not just the field of play, but the field of training. It's about making sure that your equipment's in the right place at the right time. It's about keeping people active, it's about engaging. These are all skills that are valuable within any workforce, okay? wherever you are in the world. But they use that as a catalyst to develop these skills in their workforce. Plus, working for a sports organisation, it means that they're giving back, and I think that's right and proper. So that's their corporate social responsibility, that everybody that works for Sports Scotland is supposed to coach within a club environment, and that reinforces the club environment, it creates a, uh, helps to augment the workforce, and in fact, Many of the people that work there, their kids are actively engaged in sport. So it creates this virtual circle that's constantly reinforcing.
0: Good, okay. Well, you've opened the door with that one about areas of potential growth. Um, my next question is around what obstacles would stand in the way to that growth and it doesn't have to be the specific examples that you gave but what are some either systemic or individual obstacles that you see that are, that are holding back the pace of progress in the development of sport coaching here?
1: Um, I, I would say the biggest obstacles are actually our mental models um, of what uh, culture, society is here in Singapore. And by that I'm relating, I I think probably the biggest one is around the education system, uh, which is fantastic, by the way, uh, but it doesn't necessarily lend itself to innovation. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to individual responsibility. I need to explain that a little bit further in terms of um, encouraging people to continue to learn Continuously, I, I mean, I think the government's doing a great job in terms of encouraging lifelong learning. Um, but I think that doesn't, that shouldn't necessarily mean going back to school or going back to university uh, or polytechnic. Uh, there are many ways in which that can manifest itself. And I do think that the sports club is a fantastic, let's call it university, university of life. And I think that uh, there are many lessons that we can learn from that. And there's many um, learning points that can occur on the playing field that we can develop um, how we respond to particular situations on that playing field. So I think there are huge opportunities around that. But equally, I think there are huge uh, barriers to that. And so sometimes we have to open up our minds as to how we might develop learning experiences, learning points. Um, I think Singapore, to some degree, is, I think, most people will recognise uh, sometimes a little bit risk averse. And I think that we've got to um, we've got to try and tackle that and push some boundaries and push some boundaries in terms of our thinking and... Volunteer. We all have a set of experiences, we have uh, an education, that actually we can contribute. It's how best we can do that. And go and have fun. You know, I I was one of the voluntary coaches um, in, in the rugby club because my son was there, and I felt obliged to give something back. You know, I have a coaching background, not necessarily in rugby. I love rugby. But I felt obliged to give something back and to contribute. And you know what? I really enjoyed. I spent some time coaching my son and his cohort. Because you do that anyway because the kids pass through uh, a range of different coaches. And I really enjoyed being part of his learning journey. Uh, And that gave me more joy than anything else. Now, I've been a high-performance swimming coach. Uh, and I actually I teach uh, a couple of kids to swim now because I enjoy the process, I thoroughly enjoy the process. I wish there were more parents that embrace that. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but just enjoy the process, just enjoy having fun with kids, your own kids and then the other kids and you'll be amazed, one, at what you can learn, providing you spend some time reflecting on what you're doing and why you're doing it but actually it's it is genuinely a lot of fun and you don't have to go reading books it's about the practical application of probably a lot of what you already know and a lot of your existing experiences and I think there's huge value in being able to share that one with other coaches but two with kids and other athletes so I think I would I would hope that we could just go out and have fun and be less constrained by our thoughts. And and by that I mean um take some risks, but these are calculated risks and you'll be amazed at where that can take you. Um I think one of the obstacles is um, one of the big obstacles is coaching as a profession. I don't think it's viewed as a profession. So I think one of the big challenges for Coach SG in particular and the, the system developers is how do we make it a coaching profession? How do we make it a profession where there's a place for everyone? Providing they're safe and competent in what they're doing. And I think that's the challenge, the biggest challenge moving forward. Because once we start making it a profession and people start recognising it as a profession. And it's not a switch where you flick the switch and we go, oh my goodness, all of a sudden coaching is a profession. It takes time and it takes a lot of effort. But I think a lot of the systems, structures and processes are now in place to help it grow to be a profession. I think we'll be amazed. People start making choices, I want to coach whether on a voluntary, part paid, or a full-time paid. And I want people, when they come out of university or poly or school, to say, I wanna go into that because it's a profession, there's a structure, there is, I see an opportunity for me to grow. I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest barriers because it's not about the money. Actually, rarely the solution's about the money. Yes, money's important but it's not about money. It's about whether you feel valued, whether you feel that you're contributing, whether you feel that you've got purpose, and whether you can feel that you can progress within a profession. And if we can have a framework that allows that to happen at multiple different levels, I think then
0: we'll go, wow, we're
1: really a sporting
0: Last question of the day, and this is uh, your opportunity, not to give a pass-fail grade, <laughs> but to give a formative assessment from your perspective on the current state, the snapshot of current state of sport coaching. And you can do do that either through a letter grade, number grade, or a narrative um, of your choice of, 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 of how you think we're doing.
1: Well, I don't believe that we should just give a grade and walk away. So, I I wouldn't shy away from giving a grade. I would say we're probably around about five out of ten, okay? But I think in getting to the five, we've still got a long way to go. And like I say, it will take generational change. And whilst you can make system changes and process changes, it will take time for those to work through. And one of the big challenges in relation to that is whether we're given time Uh, but more importantly, protecting the integrity of what we originally set out to do. That doesn't mean to say that we should protect at all costs. It should mean that we review on a regular basis, i.e. we reflect. So this is all part of the coaching process, or what coaches should be doing. We set goals, we then uh, set work, or a series of tasks, we develop a series of skills, then we review. So it's plan, do, review simple as that, it's as simple as that, plan, do, review. And I think the system we need to do that and I think we've made a good start. I think we're then about refining on the basis of multiple cycles of plan, do, review and then we will make adjustments. The question is whether we will give it enough time and that we don't then jump in and scrap and say Um, no this isn't working let's scrap it and start something else and then you go off in a different direction what we do know is that you need longevity you need continuity and you need succession and within that i think that's part of what we're doing now and i think we're part of that journey but it will take 10 20 30 plus years and it's constant refining i'd say rather uh, I think some of the big pieces have been put in place. It's more about nudging and refining what we have so that it fits more closely to the Singapore culture and we're tending towards professionalisation. And by professionalisation, I don't mean that every coach is paid. I mean that we can put a hand on the heart and say, yes, we're a profession. In Britain, they've got this thing called Chartered Status which tends to be uh, confirmed, you get a Royal Charter, and some of the oldest institutions back in so 1200, 1300. So Oxford and Cambridge have chartered status, Oxford and Cambridge University have chartered status, and they were one of the first institutions to be chartered. So you get the the Chartered Institute of Architects, or um, you get the, the solicitors, you get Surveyors and so on and so forth. Um, I think it's pretty neat in the respect that it's there is very clear criteria that says, and this is a profession: lawyers, um, surgeons, uh, general practitioners, and so you get professional bodies, and their responsibility is to be the guardians of the criteria of chartered status, and they define what the profession looks and feels like, in other words what uh, 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 somebody new coming into the profession has to do in order to be recognised within that profession and progress. Um, We don't have that yet in coaching here and I think having having some sort of uh, whilst I'm aware that there are organisations that uh, represent coaches in a variety of different forms that hasn't really been fully developed and I think that's a big opportunity because if they're then charged with developing the profession of coaching and professionalizing coaches I think that would be a huge step forward and on that note
0: Thanks, Richard. As always, uh, I've enjoyed our conversation, and I appreciate this. I, I I have a sense that as we review these conversations, uh, th- there'll be as many questions after the conversation as there were probably more than we had before. So I'd love to have you back on at some point, and maybe uh, and maybe chat, continue to unpack this. But until then, um, I would like to thank our handful of listeners that, that tune in for listening and thank you for your time and for your very valuable insult insights not insults you didn't insult me <laughs> insights uh, so until next time coaches uh, thanks for uh, joining us